So good evening. Very sweet in the circle. Prajna's looking at me. <laughs> it's nice he finally came this direction. <laughs> so I was thinking about more about what to share tonight. And this morning we talked about letting go. Elise brought up more of the topic about letting go. So I think I'm going to just continue along those lines with that theme and just share some stories along the path, some stories that are kind of funny and inspiring, <laughs> talking more about this letting go and the aspects of letting go around surrender and also boundaries, when to move forward, and just to kind of reflect on this in our own lives. And I hope it'll be relevant to you in some way. You know, these retreats always bring up a lot in me as well. You know, we go on this this journey with you. <laughs> in some way, we're all together. There's a sense of this is really interconnected. Your, your reflections and your experiences help us in so many ways deepen. It helps me deepen a lot. And I was thinking about you know, this whole topic of femininity, like what is this quality? And, and I was, you know, just questioning, you know, about it and remembering when I was young, my sister had a fascination with Barbie dolls, you know, and looking at them and, and, um, I wasn't so into it, but she really was, you know, had quite the collection. (laughs) And I remember, and as I've gotten older, I think, I used to think that that's what femininity was, like, oh, I'm supposed to be like that, or I'm supposed to look like that, or I'm supposed to somehow have the des- certain desires, or, or sort of be in a box, like I'm supposed to be some traditional in some way. And I've been reflecting on this, and, and about a month ago, maybe six weeks, I was teaching down at the Redwood City Insight Center, where Gil Fransdell has a community uh, down there, and they have a center, and I went down there on a Sunday. And so I was crossing the San Mateo Bridge and the toll booth operator, as I stopped to pay the money, and there was nobody there. It was really early on a Sunday morning. They do an early, kind of an early, kind of reminds me of a church service, but it's meditation. It's great. Um, And the woman who reached down with this huge smile to collect my $5, she was, I think, I'm pretty sure she was from India. She had really long hair, long braid, and underneath her sort of tall uniform, I could see this sari kind of outfit under there. And um, she had on this beautiful eye makeup. And then as I was just staring at her, she also had this long beard. And then I could tell that she was proud of this beard because it was dyed bright yellow. And, and then she was just smiling. And I was like, wow. You know, I just came out like, wow. You know, and she's like, I'm taking the money. And I was like, this is a new face of the feminine or, or something. This is another expression. Like, what is this box? Like, what? And I remember I almost wanted to get out of the car and be like, who are you? Like, how do you, you know, you're so who you are. That's a job where you see 
thousands of people a day. And I just felt like something, something touched in me. And I know it's, it's just like a silly thing on one level, but it was the courage to be different. It was the courage to somehow embrace some other aspect of what, to play with the lines of gender, you know? And I see this a lot with the younger generation doing a lot of work with teenagers and doing a lot of work in urban environments in Oakland, but the lines of what gender, what feminine is, is blurred. You know, as you know, I look at Prajna and I see an aspect, but I think, what about all the women who are, you know, big curves and maybe wear men's clothes and, you know, are, they're included in this. They're included, like all these aspects of femininity. It's just, it's become a, um, a reflection in my mind. You know, I almost think we should have five or six statues on the altar, <laughs> you know, each sort of representing an aspect, you know, maybe some, a statue of someone who's had many children and maybe they, they have this great, you know, belly that's held children, you know, and just like that also is the feminine. Somebody left me a note that said, why is Prajna so sexy? <laughs> you know? I got two like that, actually. And I just wrote back, I'll, I'll talk about that in the talk. I, I responded to that, actually. I, because, you know, in some way, we honor these beautiful images. Um, and then there's many more images that are also the sacred, right? And this word feminine, it's hard to describe nowadays. It's like, what is that pointing to? It's pointing to a way of being, is it pointing to how we look? Is it pointing to if we're married? Is it pointing to like if we have children, if we don't? Like what does feminine even mean in 2013? Like it's all blurred for me. And I think this blurring line is creating confusion in the mainstream culture. It's like, well, we want you to be like this, right? And that's what it's always been. And women are going way outside of the boxes. You know, when I think of that woman with that beard, obviously she was proud of that, right? And I think, what did her mother think? Or what was the box that she had to definitely struggle with, right? In her appearance and just owning, like somehow that was beauty to her. It wouldn't, you know, be what other people might want. But if something was courageous in that for me, and there's something courageous, I think, in women being willing to be whatever their definition is, like everybody's unique in that way. So just something I, I'm, I'm reflecting on a lot. What is that? What is feminine? What is, you know, and can we accommodate this, this widening, you could say this widening unfolding. Also at our meditation center in Oakland, people really championed for us to get rid of gender-specific bathrooms. That, like, why do we have to be so boxed in, you know? And it was kind of this, like, big debate for a long time. Like, da 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 and then this and that, and, you know? And, and then, of course, we thought, yeah, let's do it, you know? Okay. But it was just that interesting exploration, both sides of, like, what, what is this exploration? And somewhere in this retreat, we're looking to find balance between the masculine and the feminine, this is, for me, where my edge is. How do I balance and honor both of these sides? So we know that the feminine has not been in balance. We know that. You know, that's why we're in this cycle that we're in, in this whole alignment, you know, the whole great turning. 
teaching is about somehow finding this alignment and in the Mayan prophecy of the eagle and the condor meeting that represents the feminine and the masculine, they, they, they meet. That, that day happened a few months ago. It's very auspicious on the calendar. It's like, ah, this is the beginning of a shift. So balance is what we seek. I think the attraction for me to honoring all aspects of the feminine is that I I, want to harmonize that in myself and honor both sides and the expression of that. I was also thinking a lot about the Buddha's enlightenment and his great struggle. You know, as the legend of the the story, as it's told, the Buddha, you know, renounced and he was in the forest practicing. And he was doing these very intense practices where, you know, he was nearly dying, killing his body, killing himself, just not eating, you know, all the aesthetic practices, the yogas were one posture many hours and lying on, you know, not bathing, not, you know, these really intense practices to the point of death. And then it says that, you know, out of that, one day he realized, this is not helping me. This is not, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I can't, you know, this is not the path. And he tried it for five straight years. That's a long time. (laughs) You thought this retreat was long? Can you imagine? (laughs) Right? That's, that's a long time, day after day, to be sitting and looking in, in, in this struggle of trying to get free. And so in that moment where he realized that uh, this, this story is this beautiful village woman, or I'm not sure if she was maybe a, some type of goddess or she was a, in the human realm, she was making an offering. She was coming and she had been cooking all morning this beautiful rice pudding porridge and um, right at that moment she came upon the Buddha and he was you know sort of kneeled over and pain kind of collapsed and then she offered it to him and in that moment he was like oh and for me that moment has represented the feminine coming into balance like oh the softness oh i can actually take care of myself some type of self love the fight and the struggle how do i balance that and then to eat to bathe and then the reflection goes that he remembered a time in his father's garden when he was very young and he naturally just very comfortably fell into a meditation a powerful state of concentration and um he remembered how simple that was, right? It's like all the struggle, all the fight. It's like, oh, what if I just sat with just openness, like a softness? And so in some way, that's my interpretation <laughs> that he came into balance with the help of Sujata and this food, receiving it from this beautiful woman. You know, even that at that time, like, yeah, she, like the great mother came, like, here, of course it'd be food, right? It's life. It's life, you know? It's like, eat. <laughs> and so then he went on to attain awakening. So I feel that even the Buddha had his balance. He came into balance. And so that is important for us. In my own life, I don't really want to struggle with the masculine. 
I want to understand it, right? I want to balance these two sides, the yin and the yang. This is, we are made of both of these things, and I want to find some harmony in myself. So through letting go. So I was on a retreat um, from February to July of this year in Colorado, And um, I was in a cabin for three of the months alone by myself. And I remember thinking a lot about all the great heroes who have been alone doing silent yogi practices, you know, in little cabins off in the woods. And I remember I called on like this balance, like, you know, I started to see that the masculine side of myself was that steady willing to show up moment after moment when it was heartbreaking, when there was fear, when there was loneliness from the depths of my, I don't know where that loneliness came from. It was, you know, generational loneliness, you know, or something, ancestral loneliness. There was like this steadiness of willing to sit, but this gentleness of the feminine that was like with love, like with compassion, And I started to see the potential of harmony. Like, ah, these both sides are really quite beautiful when they're aligned. So we seek this balance. Because to war with any side is futile. It's to war with the truth. It's to war with how it is, you know. It's, It's just more suffering, more hatred. More hatred and more fear. So also, I think a lot about stepping out of these boxes, you know, and I feel like 2013, there is this great shift. And I notice the people that I'm working with a lot, my, my students and the people that I meet with one-on-one and the communities that I'm in, I've had more calls in the last six weeks saying, spring, it's dark night of the soul. <laughs> you know, all hell's breaking loose. It's over. Everything's unraveling. Like more 911 uh out there, and you might be feeling this. This was a bumpy ride, you know. Does every did anyone notice that? They're like, "Wow, it's intense." Big things: ending of relationships, ending of jobs. You know, shifts moving across the country, back and forth, housing, everything kind of up in the air. It's feeling like the ground is turned to sand. You know, like nowhere is solid. So I, I want to speak to that a little bit and just to say that, that that is a beautiful thing in a way, but it's very challenging because it takes a lot of faith to step out into the unknown, to be willing to step out into the unknown. It takes a lot of courage, as I said today, to be on this path, right? It's almost like everything is asked of us on this path in some way. (laughs) Can you let go of this? Ah, not that. No. And then, you know, we let it go. Then it's another one. Can you let go of this? (laughs) Ah, we hang on for a while, then we let go. So the willingness to be able to let go of our stability, to let go of our identity, to let go again and again, it's this constant death rebirth. 
I feel like when I was on my retreat in my cabin, I died, and it was very painful. I had a death-rebirth experience. It was something dying. And I think in some ways it's still happening a little bit. And the death process is hard when we're in it, but when, but when we're being reborn, that's, you know, that's the beautiful part. It's like, what are we dying to is something we don't need anymore. And then we start to awaken to something much more beautiful, much more whole, much more alive. Also, I've noticed that when people, why I say, you know, this path is hard, because what I notice is a lot of people make really big prayers. They say, universe, liberate me from everything. I want to be free, right? It's like, be careful with that. Right? Then the whole earth starts quaking every direction. Everything is like, well, anything not of that has to go. <laughs> right? It's like, liberate me, but not my relationship that doesn't really work. But wait, I just want to work on that a little bit. It's like, no, everything. You know? And, and it happens in the time that it wants to happen. We often like to control our spiritual life. You may have had those thoughts when you came this retreat well I'll work on my mom for two days maybe cry a little and then then maybe like my self-image and then confidence the last day that would be good right <laughs> right and we come on retreat it's completely different and it gets unwieldy out of control and it, and it starts to get dark <laughs> think well I didn't order this you know <laughs> It's like what we say, liberation. It's like, do we really want to be free? Do we really, really, really want to be free? Then we're willing to be really uncomfortable. You know, we get used to being uncomfortable. We start to embrace uncomfortableness, not knowingness, daringness, willing to jump into the unknown. And, and I think that that's a little bit difficult for us, I think, as women, because we're used to not so much being that way. Also, with the letting go part, I notice that any time I make a change, and I've noticed this with other people, any time there's a change, even when we called in, we prayed, we made a vision board, we went in the woods, planted a plant, you know, over it, when it really comes, there's always an aspect of grief. No matter what, because it's when we're changing, there's something that is dying. There's some way of being that we have to say goodbye to, right? We, we shed that, and it's almost like, and we often get confused, be like, well, I wanted this. Why is there sorrow? Right? But it's the sorrow of letting go. It's the sorrow of like, yeah, we're breaking out of one thing and going into another place. We let go of the old identity. And that old identity, it's like an old friend. It's like shoes too small. You know, we keep wearing shoes that hurt because we like them. <laughs> but they're, they're cute, you know. <laughs> and they just rub just the wrong way. But we somehow, you know, and then one day we just get rid of them and there's some sorrow there. Like, wait, you know. I that's part of the letting go is knowing that any time we make a shift, there's going to be grief associated on some level 
with moving from one step to the next, calling in something new, leaving a job, a relationship, even something toxic, you know, even when people are overcome addiction, there's great sorrow in that, even lying that down, right? It's like even knowing, you know, it's hard. So we have compassion for that. I like to read this. Some of you have probably heard it. Um, It's popular on the retreat circuit. (laughs) The autobiography in five chapters by Portia Nelson. But this always makes me laugh because I see myself in this so clearly. So chapter one. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. (laughs) I've fallen again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it's there. I still fall in. It's a habit. (laughs) My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5, I walk down another street. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) So we're always in some cycle of those five, I've noticed. Like we could be chapter one, like this is not my fault. How did I get here, right? The madness has arose in my heart and mind. I, I, I can't figure it out. You know, we, we're working with that all the time. Learning how to let go is an art. I think what happens is we see, like today, the analogy with the boats. We, see, we have to see so deeply that the boat doesn't go anywhere that we, out of compassion, let go. I think what's hard about Dharma practice is, is in some way, very shamanic. In order to heal yourself, you have to go straight down to the roots of things. The surface, not, you know, it, it takes going down to what is causing the pain. And then we go through the muckiness, right? Search through the swamp. I'm like, there it is, the epicenter, right? And then with love, we pull the root out. And the root could be a chronic way of thinking. The root could be... A, an addiction, the root can be some way in which we're falling in the hole, but we don't see it yet, right? And we extract that out. But it means getting dirty. <laughs> it means not just looking down, you know? It means kind of like at times we, we go down and we're like, okay, what is this? Where am I? And can I muster the courage and the compassion to heal myself, That's really what the Buddhist practice offers, a way to heal ourselves, to heal. This really 
really important, I think, to see that, that this is a practice of healing and liberation. It's a step-by-step untanglement of the mind. Our confused thoughts, one after another, we start to see, oh, this is how suffering is created. Okay, let's do the opposite. And we do that again and again, moment by moment. So we let go when we see how it's being created. In some way, we have a very strong attraction to our drama. You know, it's the telenovela. I often say that, the telenovelas. Have you ever seen those Mexican soap operas? Somebody's always slapping someone, fighting, and it's drama, right? A lot of drama. (laughs) Sorry if anyone is a big telenovela. (laughs) But you don't have to turn it on the TV, just sit, (laughs) right? (laughs) Who did what, how, this, this person, you know, you've witnessed some of these moments of that, right? But we're attracted to it. Even though it hurts, like, we're attracted, right? And so, because we don't actually see how much, how much pain it's really creating, we don't know another way, right? It's like, oh, this is my prison. I've lived in it so long. Look, it's decorated in here, <laughs> right? I've got curtains, right? I've got a rug I lay on. And then every now and then, we get a glimpse that there's bars in there. We're like, wait a minute, what was that? And either we, you know, seek a way out or we just stay inside. But when you sit here long enough, the desire to get out gets really strong. Like, what is this? And how is this being created, right? And we open the curtains and look at the walls, right? We look at the bars and we start to feel them. Instead of being fascinated and decorating them, we're like, Where's the keys here? (laughs) You know, this isn't fun anymore, right? And we seek a way out. We start to get motivated to heal ourselves. We get like extra motivated, willing to be, well, you know, willing to feel the discomfort. We get some kind of courage. Some serious courage comes. But it's balanced with wisdom and compassion, I've learned so many stories about letting go and a lot of them just have been so funny. And I, I wanted to tell you about one that stuck in my mind yesterday. <laughs> There's a teacher named Kempo Sultram Gimatso Rinpoche. It's a very long title. <laughs> He's a Tibetan teacher. He's very old now. He must be close to 90. So this story is many years ago, he was giving a teaching This had to be maybe 14 years ago, 13 years ago, maybe somewhere along that line. He was teaching in Marin. I had heard about this teacher and got very excited because he was uh, supposed to be a great scholar. And he had spent years in caves practicing. And I I thought, wow, this is going to be so great. I signed up for this weekend. And I had a lot, for some reason, a lot of expectations. I had questions. You might have questions, sheets of questions, you know, and I had these questions like, this is going to be so great, you know, and, and my friends were going. And so we went to the, the first day of the teachings. He comes out with his assistants because um, he was older and he needed help getting to a seat. 
And I thought that was strange when I first came in. I thought, that's really weird on his altar. He has all these toys up there. I was like, why would a great master, you know, already that stuck in my mind. There was like little spinner things. And it was like, that was what everybody was giving him was toys. And I was like, but he's this great master. So that's weird, right? But I sat down anyway. You have to understand that at that time, I was deadly serious about everything, <laughs> right? Emphasize deadly to the, and exclam, exclamate that. <laughs> so I had a lot of holding, I just had a lot of expectations. So anyway, so the teacher gets there and he's sitting there and he's just staring at us for a long time, which is kind of awkward, right? Somebody just, just looking very curiously, but beyond the point of like, going beyond the normal zone of that. So then he was just telling everybody to relax. He said that a lot. Just relax. Yeah, relax. So then he would start to give what I thought was a teaching, and then he would look down at his toys, and he had this one monkey. And it was one of those monkeys where you press a button, it goes, wild thing, and it goes, like that. And it would hit this little chime really loud. And he seemed to love pressing it and then going like... And I was like, okay, the first time was really funny. It was like, okay. And by like the 10th time, I couldn't understand why he was not giving me a teaching that I needed. I was suffering and I just was like, you know, I didn't come for this and I don't understand this. So then he would do that for a while and then he would pick up a toy and zing it. And then he would get out these long songs. They were like, on melody, you know, they had these weird melodies, like, we'll be reborn in the pure lands. And he had this assistant singing. And the songs were like so long. It would took 40 minutes, literally. And he would go back to the beginning, go one more time. And that basically took the whole day, was the toys, these songs. So by the end of the day, I was so mad. I remember just rage was coming, which is interesting, right? Why it produced rage. But I was just furious. I was like, what? I came all the way down here. I paid money for this. I don't know what I'm saying. He's a scholar. Why is he doing that? Why won't he teach me something about my mind? Oh, God, you know. And then I was convinced to go back the next day by my friend who was like, well, maybe he'll talk about the nature of mine. He said, he was supposed to teach on that. I don't really know why he's just doing that to us, right? And she was more open-minded, like just crazy wisdom types, right? It, it'll all be revealed today, right? So I was like, okay. So we get up in the morning. We drive back over to Marin, and he basically does the whole thing again. <laughs> he didn't even sit down very long before he touched the monkey right away. And then he would laugh. Like it was the first time again and again. Like then he would wait a little while longer and then do it again. And all along his whole instruction was relax. That's all he would relax your mind. And maybe we would sit quietly and then he would be fiddling again when we were trying to meditate and then it would come on again. And so The translator was just sitting there very politely. There was nothing to translate because he just said, relax. And he would translate that. Oh, my God. Uh, By lunchtime, I was so angry. And then so I said, I'll go back for the afternoon. Okay. And then um, so it went on like that. We sang an hour of songs, ending it. And I was just sitting there so tired and exhausted and mad. And um, he was being assisted out. And then as he looks back at me, he just went. 
And, and, and then I burst into tears. I burst into tears, and I remember really loud. I said, I'm going to miss him so much. <laughs> and it was like this wave of devotion and love came, and I was sobbing. Everyone was like, are you okay? And I couldn't stop. I was like, hold on. You know, I was, it was bad. It was, my shawl was wet, and he was already being escorted down out of the, you know, parking lot, whatever. And then on, 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 I remember on the way home, I was just really quiet. And I said, well, maybe it was about letting go or something or, you know, and, and I'll never forget that because it was, really was about letting go. Like that was some profound teaching and he was willing to give it to this group of people, like to really go there and just, oh, no, I'm not going to give you what you want from me right now. I'm going to give you a bigger teaching. Like, look at your mind, look at your mind. And I just remember feeling so happy at the end, even though it was like two days of suffering. Because <laughs> I just wanted something. You know how you get where you just want something and you're just wanting and you're like, I paid. I want, give me something. And we're like that with our, ourselves in our own mind. Give me something out of this retreat. Can you give it? Give it now. You know, and we're clinging and we're tight and we have an expectation and we're in a knot in a knot, we're tied up in a knot. And that energy, we never get anywhere with that. So it's always about surrender. When we get like that, what is the bigger, like, can we let go of the knot? Like, what's being asked of me here? What's happening? Can I open to what's happening? And sometimes the answer is, no, I can't, <laughs> or I won't. But at some point, when we resist long enough, we, we do surrender. We do. And surrender is not a wimpy thing. It's a wise thing. When we surrender with love, we surrender to like, okay, I can be in this moment with this. I can let go of whatever my agenda was and just be here for reality, basically. You know, I wanted bliss, I have back pain and rage, okay, right? (laughs) This is how the woman's retreat will be for me, right? And in some way we go, what is the teaching in that? If we're willing, I think where the wisdom comes is when we accept and we say, what what can I get from, what do I learn? Not get, but what, what are you showing me, world? What are you showing me? I love to ask that question now. What, what do you want me to know, life? I'm here, I'm, this is school. Okay, this really hurts, but what, what is the teaching? What can I learn? I'm willing to go through this. You know, there's something we can start to accept. And it doesn't mean that we're not strong. It doesn't mean we don't have boundaries, too. I think sometimes people think Buddhists are very passive. You know, people ask me a lot in Oakland, well, what do you do if somebody runs up to you and goes off on you? You know, do you just lie there and meditate or, you know, get slapped around and wish them metta? And I think it's really important that, you know, we can let go and surrender, but we can have very clear boundaries. I have very clear boundaries with a lot of things in my life. You know, I have, and I work in urban environments a lot. And I go there in East Oakland, parts of downtown Oakland. I walk in a lot of worlds. It's very interesting in that way. 
You know, I come here and then I go there and then I'm here. And I love that about things, you know. And so I can get a lot of intense energy. But I draw a very clear boundary. Like, okay, until you recognize that we are interconnected, you need to stay here. Okay? Right here. <laughs> it's very clear. I think that's another aspect of this learning to be wise and we're willing to take more risk because we know our boundaries, right? That I'm going to go to here and then this is how it's going to go. So it's important, the letting go. You know, one of the other things that happens on retreat that I've noticed and you may have noticed is a life review. Has anybody noticed like we start from when we're young and it seems like a whole review of things and usually it's a lot of regret. You often see people in the hall like, oh God, like, you know, and inwardly there's this like, ah, oh. as we review things, they come up out of like unfinished business, little pieces. You know, and a lot of this is to be let go of. We heal it in the present moment. We make our amends. Right? We say a ritual. We forgive ourselves. And then we move forward. But it's important that as we're doing that life review that we really honor um, and forgive. I think this is a big aspect of letting go. It's this returning to love and compassion and forgiveness for ourselves and others. You know, when I was able to let go of a lot of things that I had, a lot of anger I had with my parents. Because when I grew up, we grew up in a very urban environment and, you know, in East Long Beach. And and then my father, he just had so many problems and he had a, a drug addiction. And he would fight with my mother and it'd be drama. And then he left. And, you know, it was kind of like the sad story you hear again and again, like <laughs> the statistic child, like we were definitely that. <laughs> and so I remember feeling angry with them when I first came to practice. You know, I couldn't seem to let go of this anger I had with him and my mother. And, and one of the things that really helped me let go is that to really, when we start to understand that human beings really are acting out of a place where they actually think their actions create happiness and they don't. There was a deep compassion for my father because I recognized that he was looking for happiness in drugs and it was just creating more chaos, more pain, more sorrow, more turmoil. And then he kept looking for that and looking for that. And so now he's clean and sober. He's doing really well now. But it was 30-year addiction and a whole trail of carnage behind, right? And so now he's like sitting with all of that, the regret of having many children, many, and not being able to help them or support them. And so I think one of the things that helps us let go of our anger with others who have hurt us is to recognize that they really deeply believe that their actions will lead to happiness, even if they're harming you even if they are neglecting you, or even if there's abandonment, it's like they actually think that that will lead to some happiness. Compassion for other human beings helps us learn to let go of a lot that we hold against them. Like we can say, ah, oh, this is, they're sick. There's a sense of being, not being well there. 
And then we can forgive a little bit easier. So I was able to forgive a lot. And that's a big part of letting go, is forgiveness for all of those who have done things and then forgiving ourselves. That really is a mantra of mine. Every day I forgive you, spring. Because we'll never, you know, we're always doing things. <laughs> you know, like, ah, I forgive myself. Like I hope to impart that as a mantra for you too. That part of the letting go is forgiving, seeing your goodness again, your intentions, and then we just begin again. That's the great thing about life is we can pick up the next day and start again. (laughs) Like, okay, not so good, right? Just like how you do in a moment. Wow, on that boat, long time, back. Let's begin again. Here we are. There's Prajna. Let's sit. You know, we begin, there's really embodying that spirit of let's begin again. Like, let's try again. Let's go for it again. Let's be present again. That spirit really can carry you helps you to let go, right? I choose to begin again. I choose that. And also the final thing I'll say just about this topic of letting go is also develop a sense of humor. Develop a sense of humor with your mind because if you don't have one, this is a long journey. And you might as well keep yourself entertained on some degree, (laughs) chuckling at the madness of, you know, what comes through here. If you haven't laughed at just a few things that your mind was thinking (laughs) over this last, you know, four or five days. And just a final story about that. uh, Actually, it's a story about Choyam Trumpa, the great Tibetan master. So in his book, he wrote an autobiography. I think it was uh, early days, he was writing about escaping. He was a very young monk, and he was escaping out of China, I mean, out of Tibet. And they were crossing the Himalayas, and basically the Chinese military was chasing him, and he's describing this scene where they're they're being chased. And um, he's with an attendant, him and an attendant, and they ran away from their campsite, and they were trying to hide behind a bush, and the bush had barely any leaves on it. And so the military is coming by, and he, he looked at his intendant and, and basically made a joke, and they started cracking up in that exact moment, like, look, we're, you know, we're behind this bush. There's no, like, and somehow they weren't seen. That was even funnier to him, like, because they were right there. There's just a few leaves, you know, and they were just hiding. And then they, you know, but... In that dramatic moment, I'm not saying that's the wisest thing to do, but, but in that moment, there was some freedom. Like, yeah, we could get captured right now, and this is it. And to him, it was funny that they were hiding, and there was no leaves, and they were in plain daylight, basically. And he spells it out in his book, but I remember reading that, and I got the transmission and cracked up with it. Like, yeah, I could really see that. So part of letting go is lightening up, right? It's the monkey, you know, touching, bringing that. It's, it's, it's lightening up, enlightenment, lighten up. Like we let go and we're willing to go into the shadows, but then come out and also um, find the joy there. So I just wanted to share that the time has gone fast. 
And I just want to encourage us as we all let go together that this retreat and the work that you do here is for the benefit of all beings. The liberation, the, the prayers, the, the work is for our mothers, our grandmothers. Therefore, seven generations that will come after that, right? They're for the future. Therefore, this work is for our grandchildren. You know, to think like that, like the future, like what we're doing is important here. I will leave a legacy. We already have left a legacy. We will continue to do that. Why is women waking up? So I deeply bow to your practice and I'm really happy um, that we're all here together. It's very sweet. So I think we'll just sit for a moment. And I'd just like to say a prayer for all the women on the planet. All those women. All over the world. Connecting to them, pulling them up. Sending our love and compassion to those who have no rights, no say in their lives. Sending our compassion may all beings everywhere be free and happy and come to know their true nature. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.